As we were singing that song, I was reminded of that passage of Scripture in Lamentations chapter 3, in which it says that God's mercies are new every morning, and it means new and unique, one of a kind. So you never get a repeat from God. Every mercy that we received every single day is brand new, never to be repeated again. What a great thought. Well, I I tell you what, uh, I feel bad for Jeff. I, I haven't gotten anything wrong in my March Madness bracket. Uh, didn't fill one out, so I'm, I'm perfect so far. He was mentioning the blood drive that's going on back there. I know for some of you, you've always longed for the day when you could walk out on a sermon, and this is your moment, because we, we, need, we need at least five more people to be good stewards of the time that the people have invested to come out here and take blood that saves lives. Every pint that is given saves at least five lives. And so uh, if you can go back and give, we'll excuse you. You can also take your phone with you and you can follow along the service and even share that with the workers back there, westgatechurch.com, Facebook, YouTube, follow along on that. And I want to thank our building committee uh, and the Masons, Brad and Monica Mason. Brad, Monica, you guys over here, don't see you guys. Uh, You saw back there, we, we now have a new walkway in the back of the parking lot. Uh, that was constructed. Remember we said we had so many problems, our building committee, bam, they got right on it. They made sure that that thing was fixed. And so now we're guaranteed to have a drought um, because it won't rain. Now that we have this where you can walk across on dry land, but I, if you see somebody from the building committee, thank them for getting that uh, taken care of. So whenever you're in the back parking lot and you see a, a trail of water there, just walk over here and you can walk over on dry land. Teresa Kiefer is a fifth grade teacher in Wisconsin, and one day when she came to school, she did something that she didn't realize, and one of her students raised a hand and asked if she was aware that she was wearing two different shoes. She looked down in embarrassment and recognized it just like you did. (laughs) She looked down in embarrassment and noticed that she was, in fact, wearing two different shoes. Everybody had a good laugh, and then some of the kids came up with a great idea. They began to swap shoes with one another so all of them would look like their teacher. What a beautiful picture of compassion, a lighthearted picture of compassion. But as we move to the conclusion of Jude, we're going to find that compassion isn't always so lighthearted. Sometimes it involves great danger. Compassion involves danger, and every Christian is called into that danger. Martin Luther King Jr. was the one who said, it's not the violence of the few that scares me, it's the silence of the many. And as Jude comes to the conclusion of this book, he's reminding us that we cannot be silent as Christians when it comes to the danger of humanity's lostness. Jude chapter, Jude verse 22 through 23 says, be merciful to those who doubt, save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Most of the time, when somebody leaves our presence, it is not uncommon for us to say, be safe. We long for safety and security in life. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as we balance that with the willingness to take risk for good causes, kingdom causes. It might be that Jude is saying to us, don't always say be safe to one another, but say be dangerous for God. Because compassion involves danger, and every one of us that are followers of Jesus Christ 
we're called into that danger. That's demonstrated by the very mission of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he's just encountered Zacchaeus along the road, went to his house. Zacchaeus repented of his sin, turned to the Lord, and then Jesus explained, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He left the purity and the perfection of heaven to live as a man in a world cursed and crushed by sin. It was fraught with danger. As he faced down sin and ultimately experienced the entirety of God's wrath on the cross. Why did he face that danger? Because of his compassion. And compassion involves danger. And he deemed that the danger was worth the mission to rescue us from our sin. Thus, every pain he endured was worth it. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And as followers of Christ, we are expected to do the same. So as Jude wraps up his providential postcard to Christians in and around Palestine, nearly three decades after his half-brother Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he surrendered his life to him as Messiah. He directs us as leaders, followers of Christ, readers, to ultimately respond to false teachings with compassion, to rescue people from sin. In these two verses, 22 and 23, Jude refers to the target of our compassion. Doubters, dabblers, and the decided. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Compassion is dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Do we think of compassion being dangerous? Swapping shoes with one another in a fifth grade class, is that really dangerous? No. But compassion is dangerous because of sin in the world in which we live. When Jude is talking about the need for what we must do as Christians, he's saying be merciful to those who are doubting. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. It's a dangerous situation because of sin. Last year, in May of 2022, the Washington, D.C. Zoo experienced a very bizarre occurrence. A fox chewed through the mesh enclosure that surrounded their 74 flamingos. The zoo officials woke up to a startling reality, a shock of trying to process the calamity of one fox killing 25 of their 74 flamingos. It's a vivid picture of the fall, of sin's effect, of how one predator can cause catastrophic damage. And that's what Jude is talking about. And it's not just the obvious damage. The USC has done some research on lying, telling the truth. And their research demonstrates that we encounter about 200 lies per day. From conversations that we have, information coming into our lives, things that we read, things that we hear, advertisements, entertainment, social media. 
Most of these are considered white lies, somewhat inconsequential. You did a great job when I really don't think you did. I really like that outfit. It looks hideous. <laughs> Sorry, my phone didn't ring. I didn't want to talk to you. But interspersed in all of that erroneous information, there are two or three lies that could be hurtful and damaging. But here's the real problem. The research proved out that we can only discern error from truth 54% of the time. So basically, we have a 50-50 chance of recognizing a lie. And that's what Jude was talking about. He saw the danger of lies and what they can do, so he fired off this quick postcard to address that concern. See, sin pulls us away from God. And that's what false teachers and false teaching does. That's the intent. So as we move to Jude 22 and 23, we're reminded that we must move toward the danger with compassion and caution. We as Christians are called to move toward the danger with compassion and caution. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Jesus wisely demonstrated how he would approach danger and make sure that he was moving with compassion and, and caution. There are many times that Jesus never backed down from a fight, but he wisely discerned which fights were worth fighting. Jude says the same thing. Now, to help us remember what Jude is talking about here, we're going to break down the danger into three categories, the people that are in danger, the doubters, the dabblers, and the decided. These are people that you will encounter, and possibly you fit in one yourself. The doubters are those who are on the fence. Be merciful to those who doubt. They're on the fence about the truth of Christ. They're not necessarily against it, but they're not necessarily for it. They, they really haven't decided. They're wondering. They're doubting. They're contemplating. And Jude is saying, be merciful to those who doubt. Don't try to shame them. Don't try to overwhelm them. But be merciful to them and help them in their decision as to whether or not they're going to go with Christ or go against Christ. Then there are the dabblers. The dabblers are those who are experimenting with life outside of Christ. He says, save others by snatching them from the fire. It's talking about those people that have, have moved beyond doubt, and they're beginning to experiment with what it looks like to live life without Christ. And he says, for those, you just need, as if you're snatching them from the fire, because if they continue to move in that direction, they will end up separated from God. And the decideds, they've chosen to do life without God. Should we have compassion for them? Notice what Jude says. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The most compassionate thing that we can do is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? God's plan to rescue us from sin. 
That's the most compassionate thing we can do, and that's what Jude is calling us to do. Now, in this series, we've talked about some pretty extreme examples of false teachers and false beliefs. We've used examples like Jim Jones and David Koresh, false beliefs that led to tragedies like the Oklahoma City bombing and the Columbine attack that became the genesis of mass shootings in America. Such dangers need to be confronted. Such false teaching and false beliefs needs to be confronted. But most of the time, we will, we will face simply the false teaching of unbelief in Christ. It may apply to some of the nicest people that you know. They're not holding people hostages. They're not robbing banks. They're nice neighbors, friends, colleagues, schoolmates. But the problem is they doubt that Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity. And so as you think of your sphere of influence, who are the doubters? Those that are on the fence that you can try to encourage and help them gain information to move them toward Christ, to settle on this side of the fence instead of the other. Who are the dabblers? Who do you know that maybe had a bad experience in church or a tough upbringing? Or someone that's decided that they want to try something new and innovative, and so they're experimenting with what it looks like of living life without Christ. Who do you know that's like that? See, Jews not just talking hypothetically, that people out there should do that. He's talking to the church, to Christians. And who is it that we know are the doubters? Who is it that we know that are, are the dabblers that are trying to experiment with what it looks like to live without Christ? Who are the decideds? They've decided that they're going to live life without Christ. They're not interested in conversations. They're not interested in what you might have to say. But Jude says that doesn't put them outside the sphere of our compassion. He says those are the ones that we need to snatch out, even as if we are hating the clothing that they're wearing. What is Jude saying? He has talked about these false teachers in very despicable terms. You get the idea from reading Jude that he doesn't like false teachers, right? But then he comes back to say, even the false teachers deserve to hear about the compassion of Jesus Christ and reach out to them even as if you are hating the clothing that they're wearing. And be careful as you do that. Why? All of us are susceptible to do the same thing. That's what Paul would write to the churches that received the letter to, the, to Galatians, the area of Galatia. He said in chapter 6, verse 1, as you move to try to help people, be careful that you don't fall into the same sin and temptation. He would say the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. If you think you can stand, be careful because you could easily fall. So he says we move into this environment cautiously but dangerously to face those who need our compassion. You see, sometimes the, the decideds have suffered what, what might be called the, the Stockholm Syndrome. You've heard about it in 1973. A guy robbed one of the largest banks, or tried to rob one of the largest banks, banks in Stockholm, Sweden. But it unraveled, and his plan didn't work. So he grabbed four hostages, and he negotiated 
for one of his friends in prison to come and be his assistant. And for six days, they held four hostages in a bank vault. Finally, when the episode was over, the hostages were released. None of the four would testify against their two captors. To the contrary, they started raising money for their defense. And the term Stockholm Syndrome was coined to describe this dynamic of having sympathy as a victim for your captor. Sometimes that can happen to us. And so we must be guarded in the process as we think about those who have decided maybe they have gone into disbelief because they have experienced something like this. So we move toward the danger with compassion and caution, that mixture of fear as we seek to help. And move toward God to experience dangerous compassion. One of the greatest stories ever told about compassion is in Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 25, in which Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. We all know the story well, don't we? Of the man on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And he's descending down on this dangerous road. He's overtaken by bandits who rob him, leave him half dead with the thought that he would surely die. And who stops by? None but two religious leaders that simply walk by on the other side. And then the very unlikely hero, the Samaritan, steps off to give him aid, cares for him, has compassion for him. If you're watching The Chosen, there's a very interesting spin on that particular parable. That story is reflective of what Jesus did for us and what he expects us to do for others. Don't forget that that story is connected to a very important question. A religious leader asked, how must I experience eternal life? Jesus pointed him to the two greatest commandments, to love God with all that you have and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he described what it means to love your neighbor. God is calling us to move toward him, first and foremost, and then toward other people for us to be the recipients of God's dangerous compassion for us, and then for us to be the outlets of that dangerous compassion for others. We're just a few, remo- few weeks removed from Easter. Who are you praying for? Easter is one of those very unique dynamics, isn't it? A time in which people will come to church for maybe one or two times out of the year, but it's as if they feel like they need to. And so we have this unique advantage as Christians to invite those who are reluctant most of the year to be here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are you praying for? Who has God laid on your heart to demonstrate dangerous compassion? It may not be as risky as what it took that Samaritan on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, but who is God calling you to show compassion to, to take risk with. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, said something that may be helpful to all of us today. Sometimes we think of topics such as this with a level of less interest than others. Good for other people to think about, but how does it apply to me? 
And he said, if I were given the opportunity to train those who share the gospel of Jesus Christ, I wouldn't send them to college for a few years. I wouldn't even send them to seminary for a couple of years. I would send them to hell for five minutes. Anybody that encountered hell for five minutes would understand the call for dangerous compassion of what lies ahead for those who refuse to embrace the truth about Christ. Who are you praying for to come to know Christ? Who's on your list? Who are you taking dangerous and risky moves to reach for Christ? We have prayed in the times past a prayer called bless. I want to give that to you again just as we draw this to a close. But I want you to think about praying for your neighbors. We've talked many times about praying for the five neighbors that are around you. Now, you, you may live in a unique situation, a cul-de-sac or something unique. But typically, we have one neighbor to our right and one neighbor to our left and three neighbors in front of us. And what if we spent each day praying for one of those neighbors throughout the week? And what if we had a prayer that reminded us of a, a balanced approach to our prayers? Everybody wants the blessing of God, right? Use the word blessed to be an acrostic for your prayer, how you can pray for them, to have belief in the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. The B stands for belief. The L stands for love. That love would flourish in their home godly love, true love, and their relationships with one another. The E stands for encouragement. Does anybody not need encouragement? That they would experience encouragement in their various encounters throughout the day and week, that you would be an encouragement to them. So easy for us to roll our trash to the curb without even noticing the other people around us, to encourage them with a smile, a wave, pray for. The first S stands for sin, that the strongholds of sin in their life would be broken. They would be victorious over sin, and sin wouldn't have dominion in their home. The second S stands for success, that they would know true success, seeking first the kingdom of God and having everything else fall into place. Might we pray that? that people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's why I end every message reminding all of us. Some of you say, I've heard you say that so many times I could say it myself. Exactly. That's one of the reasons we say it every single week. How many people that don't know Christ are here? I don't know. I don't know if anybody is here. But every week we go through the same simple explanation of what it means to follow Christ in hopes that you're remembering it and not tuning me out like I've already heard this so many times. Friends, my hope is that we walk out into the world and we're able to say with such ease and confidence, God loves you. He's created you to have a relationship with him. You're that valuable. But because of the sin in our life, our willful decision to rebel against God and his word, we are separated from God. 
And there's no remedy to that cure except Jesus Christ. But thankfully, Christ can make us right with God. But we do have a responsibility. And our responsibility is to repent, to turn away from our sin. We can't follow Christ and our sin at the same time. We humbly repent of our sin and completely surrender our life to Jesus Christ. And then to invite people to voice a prayer similar to this, and any of you that are with us today that have never received Christ, I would encourage you to take this first step towards following Christ. It's your first step. It's not your last. We live in an evangelical turmoil and confusion that somehow this is the last step towards being a Christian. It is not. It's the first step of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ And then you spend the balance of your life living a life completely surrendered to him. If you've never received Christ, I pray that you would join me in a prayer similar to this. If you're already a Christian, I pray that you know how to say this prayer without even looking at the words. So that when you encounter somebody and you have the opportunity to share, you can guide them to Christ. You don't have to call for backup. You don't have to call for intel you know exactly how to walk someone into the arms of Christ. So let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have called us into dangerous compassion. If we are not careful as followers of Christ in the Western world, we will value safety above above everything else. You've called us to be dangerous for you, to take risk, because the reward is so worth it. You took the ultimate risk and faced the greatest danger to come and redeem us from our sin and make us right with God. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. I pray that we would be the conduits of that compassion to other people, recognizing that it's polite to swap shoes to make someone else feel more comfortable. But real compassion is stepping into the pain of their world, their lostness without Christ, telling them how they can find eternal and abundant life through Christ. To help them see that a simple prayer shared like this can change their eternity. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, if anybody voiced that prayer, might they understand that their life is forever changed. Because of that change, they're called to leave their way of sin and to follow hard after you, to live fully surrendered to you every day of their one and only life. Lord, I pray for us as a congregation of Westgate that you would inspire us with dangerous compassion for those that we know are lost. Lord, we know the urgency, just in the words described in this passage of Scripture, as if we are snatching someone from the very flames of hell. 
Help us to understand that and to practice that. Lord, I thank you for this church and pray that we would truly know of your favor and blessing, that we would be praying the blessing of belief over our neighbors, for love and encouragement, for victory over sin, and the true success of making your kingdom our primary concern. This we pray in your name. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like God has led you into a decision, a life-changing decision, maybe to follow Christ, maybe to repent of your sin and to turn back to Christ, maybe to be baptized as a new follower of Jesus Christ or a follower who's, who's never been baptized yet. Possibly God is leading you to this fellowship of believers. You want to join Westgate as your church home. Maybe you'd like someone to pray with you over a situation in your life. Maybe you do have a stronghold of sin in your life and you want victory over it. Our deacons, along with their wife, will be standing at the end of each one of these aisles. Every month we have a, a triad of deacons that serve us during that month. And so this month, the month of March, those deacons will be standing there. And if some of those guys aren't able to be here, some of our other deacons will be standing there at the back of the sanctuary. I'll be standing over at the cross. We'd love to pray with you, visit with you. If you have a more private concern and you want to fill out one of these communication cards, you can do that and drop it in one of the boxes out in the, the atrium, or you can visit the Connection Center after the service and just bring that to us. We'd love to pray with you as we can. So let's stand together and let's respond as God would lead us today. Son of God and man, you are high.
Have a great week. Still time to go get blood.